to invite you this morning to join me in the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter. It's good to be back. We've gone for two weeks now and, and, uh, in Texas and spent a few days in um, Oklahoma as well with my dad and my brothers doing some golfing and um, it was hot there, to say the least. And so... I tell you, it was, uh, it was hot in Texas, too, and Oklahoma. It was very, very difficult to breathe and almost unbearable, and, I, and um, just thankful for the weather in California. Amen? I, I met somebody that was from your guys' area where you're moving, and, and, and they were encouraging me to come play golf out in, in Raleigh, so it's a small world, um, but uh, we, did, and we did enjoy our time away. It, it was relaxing, got to spend some time with family and extended family. My brother and his family are 15, I think, or 16, and we're nine, and we were all together for, for that uh, time, so it was quite the extensive family get-together, and so, um, but it's good to be back, and, and so I'm glad to be able to be here this morning and be in the pulpit. Um, I, this morning is going to be a little bit unique. About a year ago, I preached through the book of Hebrews. You guys remember that. And spent some time in Hebrews 11. Uh, spent a few weeks in Hebrews 11. And this morning, I, just, I really want to go back and, and, um, and relook at the, at the chapter. And especially as it relates to thinking about the last year. We, we close out our fiscal year this week. So... For us, the end of June is the close of the fiscal year for Grace Bible Church, and then um, the new year starts July 1st. And so I was just thinking and kind of looking back over this last year and thinking about the next year and um, the things that we've been through and the things that we're going to go through next year. And the Lord just began to work on me um, with Hebrews 11 and just some things to think about in regards to faith. And um, because we live by faith, the Bible says, I believe it's three times, once in the Old Testament and twice in the New, that the just will live by faith, uh, that we're called as Christians to be uh, faith-filled people. And, um, and sometimes it's not easy to live by faith, especially when you're living in a world that is, is in many ways falling apart. And we live in a state that in many ways is falling apart. We live in a country that in many ways is falling apart. We live in a world that is falling apart. And, and morally, um, spiritually declining uh, day by day. And the decline is becoming more intense uh, every moment. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And when we look at that, we look around us and we see all of the things that are going on and we even stop and look at last year and we think, man, is it going to ever stop? Is there any hope? Is there, is there any future for us? And I think it's important that we stop and we do meditate on these things and we do take some time to look back and, and realize what we've been through and then, and then maybe ask the Lord to help us um, have a, an expectation for the next year for what the Lord has in front of us that is a faith-filled expectation. 
to be able to look back and see what we've been through and that we've persevered. We're still here, right? We're still here. We're still a church. We're, we're still worshiping the Lord. There was still four songs sung this morning that were honoring to God, and people raised their hands to the Lord. And, and there's a lot of good things going on even after a year of, of, of turmoil and challenges and difficulties. I'm just going to give you a few things that we can look back at 2020 and 2021, half of both years, and some things to think about and to remember what we went through. Most of that fiscal year, we were in COVID restrictions. Um, the reality of it is, if we look back on the last year, very few, very few weeks we met here in the building. Um, most of the year, we met outside in the, in the alleyway, and we endured some really hot, sunny days, right? Anybody sweat last year, sitting out there every once in a while? Anybody get chilly every once in a while? And we went a season when it was colder, and then we got those heaters and put them out there and tried to, um, tried to make good out of something that wasn't so great, right? We made lemonade out of lemons. We, we did the best that we could with what, with what God had given us in that moment. But for most of the last year, we, we met outside. And for many people, that would just be, uh, I mean, it's not a positive um, aspect of our year, it was a negative thing. It was a hard thing, a challenging thing. One day that stands out to me probably more than any was the day that it was absolutely a downpour of rain, and we weren't prepared for it. Um, it was kind of at the beginning of the whole outdoors journey, and we were outside, and we're like, well, we're going to meet. <laughs> we're not going to not meet. So we, we set the chairs up next to the building, and we put one tent out there for me to stand under, and it was a, a deluge of rain, and then the tent would collect all the rain, and then when it wanted to, it would just kind of, you know, flood over the sides. And I think a few times somebody got a harebrained idea to push the tent up, which obviously then flooded them. And so it, it was quite the, um, quite the day, but it was so interesting, and I hope you guys will forgive me, I'm kind of reminiscing about last year, and I hope, hope we can get to some things that will be helpful for us. But it was interesting because God really worked that day in a unique way. There was, uh, his presence was there with us. Um, there was a sense of awe um, in our God. And I just was walking away that day and I thought to myself, you know, um, it, it, it is in weakness that we see his strength. It is in the moments when we when we don't understand things and we can't comprehend things and we can't fix things, right? It's like it would have been great if we could have just kind of, you know, clapped our hands or snapped our fingers and the clouds would have rolled away and it would have been a sunny day, 72 degrees, perfect, right? But you know, it's not, those are not the moments that God shows himself. He shows up in a fiery furnace where three guys are in there and they're pretty much expected to die and then there's a fourth guy in there waiting for them to protect them from the fire. That's when the Lord shows up. It's in those impossible moments. It's in those situations and circumstances where, where everything, humanly speaking, is, is it's desperate. It's a desperate moment. And those are the moments that God shows up uh, the best. And let me say this to you as well. Sometimes we're, we're so afraid of those moments that we never get to see God. We're so afraid of the desperate moments. 
We're so afraid of allowing ourselves to be put into a fiery furnace. So what we do is we find all solutions that keep us out of the fiery furnace. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to stay out of the fiery furnace, not realizing that God is in the fiery furnace. Wouldn't it be a shame if we walked through life protecting ourselves from fiery furnaces our whole life and God says to us one day as we get to heaven and we stand before him and he says to us, I was in all of those furnaces that you avoided. Doesn't mean we don't get to heaven, but man, we miss a lot out. We miss out on a lot in this life, don't we? So we, so we met outside in the rain. Some practical things for our church prior to COVID. Many of you haven't been here. Uh, haven't, many of you haven't been here prior to COVID. But prior to COVID, we had a number of families leave the church for various reasons, um, a number of different reasons, and that puts some strain on the church financially and just in regards to just. I think relationally, emotionally, those things are not easy things to go through, right? It's not an easy thing to go through when you have people leave the church that are your friends that you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you've maybe served together for years. Those things aren't easy to go through, are they? In addition to that, when COVID hit, I think we had, I've counted, I think, up to 15 families move to other states or move within this state somewhere else to kind of avoid some of, the, uh, some of the frustration maybe that our state had in regards to handling of the, the virus and things like that, but they maybe just had enough of California and wanted to go somewhere else, and so they moved on. And we lost several families. Again, I think it was close to 15 families due to that. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy. We're going to lose more families. I know we've got some here this morning that are... Um, uh, Soon we'll be, we'll be moving on to other states. And we thank the Lord for the time that God has given with us, with those people. But it's not easy to lose your friends and your family members. It's not easy to, to figure out, okay, now what are we going to do? Are we, how do we keep pressing on? How do, we, how do we stay above water financially? Or how do we stay above water in regards to our worship and the use of, our, the, use of the things that God has given us? How do we do that? And that's what the last year has been for us. We've declined in many ways as a church, numerically, um, financially, relationally. And sometimes these dramatic losses, which, which are dramatic in many ways, lead us to fear, worry, and frustration. And they lead us to, to maybe even a little bit of doubt. Does God really have a plan for Grace Bible Church? Does God really have a purpose for Grace Bible Church, does God really have a, um, a goal? Does he really have a passion for us? And Hebrews is written in such a way, I say all of that because I want to get to this passage in Hebrews 11. Hebrews is written in such a way as this, this, is, this kind of similar, similar circumstances are taking place. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging, if you follow the series, he's encouraging the people not to fall away, not to fall away, not to fall away not to fall away. Over and over again, it's like, don't fall away. And what he means is, it's not like you know, falling off of a step or falling off of a, it's, it's, it's falling away in regards to your faith. It's all of a sudden you begin to doubt God. Maybe you begin to question God. Maybe you begin to have uh, um, the wrong thoughts about circumstances and situations. And so God brings us to this chapter in the 11th, come close to the end of Hebrews, and he gives us this, this um, really, it's, it's almost like 
story after story after story of men and women in the Bible who went through impossible circumstances and situations, and they persevered, but they only persevered because they went through those situations and circumstances in faith. They, they had, there was something about the way that they viewed their circumstances and the situation that helped them persevere through it. And what I want to do is I want to give you those thoughts this morning, walk through the 11th chapter, literally verse by verse, and just give you some things to consider when it comes to how, how, how should we view our upcoming year? How, how should we look at what God has for us in 21-22? And, uh, and, and how can that be good? So let's, let's, let's uh, join me, uh, if you would, again in Hebrews 11. And we're going to just look at this idea of faith and look at four or five principles that will help you and will help us, help me, to, to walk by faith for the next year. The Bible says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want you to just to make a note right away in your mind that the invisible is necessary for faith. It has to be built upon something that is invisible. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. So we always want to know when we're dealing with faith, it's always going to be the antithesis or the opposite of sight. If you're looking for something that you can see and understand through human means, you are, you are, you are pushing aside faith and you are ushering in um, flesh, okay? So you've got to remember right away that faith is focused on something that is invisible. You can't see it. You can't often explain it. You can't often understand it. Faith is built on those things. So when, when life gets really, really difficult and we look around us and we see all of the things going on, the only way that we're going to, to have hope or have faith in those situations is sometimes we have to, we have to close our eyes, okay? The Christian life is lived with closed eyes, I know that that's difficult to understand, but that's the, that's the truth. It's, that it's in those moments, in those difficulties and challenges that we have to close our eyes and we have to see things from God's perspective and not see things from our perspective. We have to look at life from God's point of view. So in, in the moments of these, when things get desperate, when things get uncontrollable, when things get outside of our ability, we then need to close our eyes and begin to focus on something that's beyond what we see, beyond what we can control, beyond what we can manipulate. We close our eyes and we begin to focus on God. We begin to focus on his abilities. We begin to focus on his strength. We begin to focus on his wisdom. We begin to see God in these circumstances and in these situations instead of seeing the circumstances and the situations. You've heard it said that for many of us, the problem is, is that we have big problems and a little God, and we need to have a big God and little problems. It is believing, and not just believing, but the word here is literally to be convinced. To be convinced of something, to be utterly convinced. Um, uh, I don't really know how to illustrate it well, but 
but you've been convinced of things before in your life that you were just completely and totally convinced that this was true, it was a reality. That's the, that's the, that's the, the, the flow of this verse, and that's the emphasis, is, is that you're totally convinced of something that is, that is what? That is invisible. You're totally convinced of something that is invisible. That is the basis of living life well, living, living life for the Lord, living the Christian life. So he says, faith is living life completely convinced of something, and, and I'll say it this way, someone who you cannot see. So sometimes you have to close your eyes and you have to stop seeing things with your eyes and start seeing things with God's eyes. And it does take a closing of your eyes. I mean, honestly, I think it's interesting when we worship sometimes. How many of you, when you worship, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to let you think about it for a moment. How many of you, when you worship, close your eyes? Anybody want to raise their hand and share that they close their eyes when they worship? I know some of you do because I watch you and I see it happening. Why do you do that? Why do we close our eyes when we pray? What are we doing? We're separating ourselves from what we see and we're entering into a spiritual understanding of what we know about the one who sees You see, God is the only one that sees things clearly and knows things well. So remember this as we go through this, that faith is always, faith is always implying that you're not building on what you see, you're building on what you know about God who sees. And he's the only one who really sees. We don't get to see what he sees. We get to trust him that he knows what he's doing. Let's go on because there's a few basic principles. The first thought, if you're taking notes, is convinced we must be. Faith is convinced of the invisible. Faith is convinced of a or the invisible God. And then he goes on to describe it. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Okay? So by trusting, by depending on that which is invisible, by closing your eyes, you begin to understand that the world was created by an invisible God. The world was created by an invisible God. Listen to me. The more we open our eyes, you think about science today. The more we try to open our eyes, the more we deny, the more science today is denying what? In all of their enormous discoveries, what do they deny more and more the more they discover? They deny God. They refuse to acknowledge God because they're building on the foundation of what they can see is not built upon faith. He says, by faith, we believe that what was created was created by the invisible God. And then it goes on to say, um, and that, and, and that, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, what the author does is he takes it one step further. He doesn't, he's not just referring to God creating the world. Is there anything that God could create 
more amazing than the world? There's nothing really, right? So, so here's the principle that the, the author is saying to us. If God created the world by the word of his mouth, is there anything that he can't create by the word of his mouth? Is there anything that God cannot do by the word of his mouth? Is there anything? What he's telling them is, close your eyes, stop looking at your situation that's being bigger than your God, and start looking at your God as being bigger than your situations. God can change your situation. God can change your circumstances. God can change your problems by just simply stating the words, or maybe even bigger than that, just thinking the thought, right? We believe that to be true, right? But when you open your eyes... All of a sudden, you stop believing that that's true. Do you know where murmuring and complaining and, and frustration and all of those things come from? It doesn't come from the fact that you have a God that's not bigger than those things. It comes from the fact that you're constantly looking at those things and not closing your eyes and seeing God. We have to, we have to as a church, last year, difficulty, right? We've got to close our eyes. We've got to see what God's capable of doing. And God is capable of doing anything. He created the universe by the word of his mouth. There's nothing beyond him. There's nothing bigger than him. There's nothing that he cannot create or do if he chooses to do it. We have to close our eyes and have an expectation and understanding and appreciation of this invisible God's ability and power to do whatever he chooses to do. Listen, folks, the same is true about marriages. The same is true about children. The same is true about all aspects of life. You can either open your eyes and say, it's too big, it will never work. Or you can close your eyes and say, God is big enough. It's what he's saying here. We, we get this, we get too consumed with what we can see and what we can feel and what we can touch. And we say, this is reality. God, you know, I get, I get all the things you say in your word, but you don't live in my world, Lord. You don't get it. You're wrong, folks. We're wrong. He does get it. He did live in our world. And he won. He won. Hebrews 4, he went through every temptation that you ever went through, yet he never sinned one time. That's who he is. So now we can come boldly into his throne room, amen? We've got to close our eyes and we've got to think about what is our God capable of? We have to live, in the rea- we have to live with the reality that, that not how big our problems is, are, but how big our God is. Created the world by the word of his mouth. He is invisible. Go on. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though he was commended as righteous, um, through which he was commended as righteous, and God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he dies, he, can, he died, though he still continues to speak. The second thing that we see about this invisible God is he's worthy of our obedience. 
He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of doing. Cain, Cain figured out that Cain was going to do what it makes sense to offer the fruits of your own hands, right? It makes sense to offer the works of your hands. Cain went by what was logical. Abel went by what was commanded. When you have your eyes open, you may often offer to God sacrifices that he does not require of you. This is the problem when we try to offer things to God based upon our logic of what he would desire and not built around his word of what he requires of us. You see, Abel didn't try to figure it out. Abel offered to God exactly what God required of him, and for it he was accepted. It's easy sometimes, isn't it, when God is invisible to not do what he requires of us, but to give him something that we desire to give him based upon our logic. The next thing that he... So first of all, we see that we are to trust him. We are to trust him. We are to be convinced of him and trust him in his word. Number two, we are to obey him in what he requires of us. And number three, we're to draw near to him. It, it, is, it is faith that says... Faith that says God can change and create anything. It is faith that says God's requirements are worthy of my obedience, even though he is invisible. And it is faith that says it is, it is, it is important to draw near to him who is an invisible God. The Bible says in verse number five, by faith Enoch, he uses Enoch as an example, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because he had been taken up. Now, before he was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. And that phrase, you go back to Genesis and you read the actual story of Enoch, the Bible says that what Enoch did was he just got close to God. He got intimate with God. He walked with God. He fellowshiped with God. He communed with God. He spent time with God. He spent energy with God. And that makes no sense to us because he is invisible. Who wants to spend time with an invisible God? That's what he's telling us. We spend time, we grow, we walk with, we fellowship with, we commune with something and someone that we cannot see. The world cannot understand this. But it is important that we do. Let's go on, verse number six. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, and there's that drawing near to God, must believe that he exists, even though he's invisible, and that he rewards those who seek him. And other versions say he rewards those that diligently seek him. The, the emphasis is that we believe God even though he's invisible, we believe in him so strongly that we, number one, have no fears because he can create anything. We, number two, we obey his commands. We, number three, we draw near to him. We commune with him. We fellowship with him. Preacher once said about prayer, and I can't remember who it was, he said, if we knew what prayer was capable of doing, we would never stop doing it. Let's go on. He goes on to the next thought after um, believing or, or being convinced of this invisible God who is capable of all things. Then he moves on 
to verse number 7. He says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a, to a place that, was to re, that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, her Self received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Well, you remember the story. Abraham was how old when he gave when they conceived Isaac? Hundred years old. Is that possible? It's not possible, isn't it? Abraham wasn't getting the calculator out or going on the line and saying, "Hey, how can I have a baby when I'm hundred years old?" Right? That's what we would do, but he didn't do that because he knew that it was only by God that that was possible. All of these things are only by God that it's possible. He said, uh, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, there were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And we know that all the Jewish people are Abraham, considered Abraham's children, and anybody who is a, a person of faith is considered Abraham's child as well, right? Was it something that Abraham figured out? He believed God. Sarah believed God, and they were rewarded for their faith. The Bible goes on in verse number 13, these all, speaking about Abraham and Sarah's offspring, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak such make it, speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have not, they would, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is a really powerful little passage of scripture. There's so much packed into here. I, I love the fact that he talks about these people not desiring to go back to Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. The, the people of Israel had such, a, had such a picture of heaven in their mind that they wouldn't have any desire at all to remain in Egypt or to go back to Egypt, right? We need that, don't we? We need that. We need that as a culture, we need that as a people to get such a picture of heaven, such a divine, glorious picture of what eternity is going to look like that we have no, nothing holding us here that keeps us from desiring that. That's what their attitude was. That's a faith attitude. It's an attitude that closes its eyes and sees what God has for us and not is always looking at what we have. The second thought is simply this, and you'll see this in each one of these things, it's patience. Faith takes patience. Patience in an invisible God, not only patience in an invisible God, but patience in a God that doesn't tell us what his timing is. Isn't that hard sometimes? Think about this. Noah built an ark for how long? 
120 years. He built an ark for 120 years. He preached that God was going to send a flood. Do you, can you imagine that on the 119th year, 364 day, that Noah might have started thinking, is God really going to send this rain? It's like, uh, do I really need to put this last nail in? The, the, you know, I don't really know if that nail is really going to matter. This rain isn't going to come, right? You think Noah did that? I don't think so. Why? Because Noah believed God, and it didn't, matter what, it didn't matter what the time frame was, Noah believed that God was going to fulfill his promise, didn't he? You think about it, in Matthew 24, at the very end, there's a story of two, um, of two servants. The master goes away for a season. It's a picture of Christ and his church. The master goes away for a season, and he tells his servants, I'm going to come back, and when I come back, I'm going to judge you according to what you do. The Bible says in the parable that one servant, the master, has just gone for so long. It's like 2,000 years. Not, not literally, but long time he's gone. The one servant's like, hey, you know what? The master's not coming back. Why do I keep mowing the lawn? Why do I keep trimming the hedges? What am I doing here mopping this floor? He's not going to come back. I need to just start going out and having some fun. So what he does is he starts, text says, he starts partying, just giving himself to sin and um, Living a worldly, wicked life, the Bible says that the master comes back just like he promised. And Jesus is going to come back just like he promised, folks. He's going to come back. The Bible says that he finds that servant living unrighteously, abusing his fellow servants, living drunkenness, parties. That's what the text says. I'm not making it up. The Bible says that the, the master casts him into outer destruction, which is a picture of eternal damnation in hell. But then he says the other servant who remained faithful, who continued to do what he was doing, why? Because he believed God was going to do, he believed the master was going to do what the master said he was going to do. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't happen in our timing. Right? 120 years, that's a long time. Abraham was promised that he was going to enter into the promised land. 20, the Bible says that he lives amongst his brothers in tents as if he was in a stranger in a foreign land. And he was in the land that God had promised him. 20 plus years Abraham dwelt as a stranger in the land that was promised to him. It was his inheritance. It was his to be had. But it wasn't going to be his until God decided it was going to be his. Right? David was anointed to be king, but David wasn't put into his, David wasn't immediately put in as king when he was anointed to be king. He was told, you, you serve underneath Saul until it's the time of God. Sarah waited 25 years. They were promised when, she, when, when he was 75. The fulfillment didn't come until he was 100 years old. 25 years he waited to fulfill the promise. But you know what? You know what Sarah and Abraham were still doing? Not to be facetious or disgusting. They were, it's not disgusting, but you know what I mean. We don't have any two young people in here that this would be out of place. They were having sexual relations, trying to produce children. Why? Did that make sense? Because they believed God. And they were willing to wait and continue to faithfully do what they were supposed to do in spite of the fact that everything in their logical mind, which everything in my logical mind would do, said it's never going to happen. And you know what? God filled the world like the sand of the sea with people that would serve underneath Abraham that would be a part of his family. And Sarah, Sarah became the mother of, of, of many, like the sands of the sea. Why? Because she believed God. That's it. 
This invisible God told her something that she believed with all of her heart. And we have a book that's full of promises. We have the hardest time believing any of them, enough to where we want to walk in them. He goes on. He says, Sarah, he uses Sarah as an example, 25 years. Then he goes to an extreme. He talks about all of Sarah and Abraham's offsprings. You know what he says to them? He says, they never received the promise. Let me ask you something. If God ever promised you something and said, and you, and you believed in your heart that you would never receive it in this life, would you still labor for it? These people were made a promise by God that they were going to receive an extraordinary inheritance. But the Bible says that they remained faithful to death why? Because their inheritance was in the next life. You talk about extraordinary patience. 125 years, 20 years, 25 years, forever. Until eternity. Let me ask you something. Husbands, wives, children. Will you remain faithful if you don't ever see any fruits in this life? Will you remain Godly, will you remain pure? Will you remain focused if you never see any fruits in this life? Is God worth serving if you never get any benefits from him in this life? You see, faith takes patience. It could be that you wake up tomorrow morning and everything that you've prayed for and believed, God does. It could be that it's 12 years that you've been praying to be healed of a certain sickness like the woman in the Gospels. It could be that you've been praying for 12 years, that you've gone to every doctor that's possibly out there to be healed from it, and you've never been healed from it, and it could be tomorrow that you're gonna wake up and God's going to heal you. It could be that. It also could be that you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and God's going to heal you in heaven. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't say to God, give me my way. Faith says to God, you have your way, and I will trust it. I'll tell you a little illustration, a little story. My, my middle daughter, Angela, Angela Faith, when she was, we had, we had Alyssa, and she's not in here, so I can tell on her. She's not in here, is she, girls? <laughs> okay. Uh, nobody tell her that I told on her. When she was a baby, when, she was, when, she was, when, when, was, when we were getting ready to conceive, um, we were, uh, we had, we had a, a Jared, Alyssa, and Olivia, and we wanted to have another boy, Right? So we thought, you know what? We're going to pray to God, and he's going to give us a boy. We're like, we're not going to conceive. We're going to pray first, and then so then he can get it right on the first. He doesn't have to change in the womb what it is, and we're going to get it, and, and that's what's going to happen. So we started praying, God, give us a boy. And I tell you, I mean, I'm just this confession time, big time for me. But, I mean, we went through the whole pregnancy, and we were, like, convinced we're having a boy. We even went to, the, we even went to get the uh, ultrasound, and... And they're like, it's a girl. And we're like, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, that was, what our, that was what we thought that was what faith was. That's what we thought faith was. Faith was asking God and believing he's going to do something, and then, he, and then he does it. That's faith, right? Do you know what Angela's middle name is? Does anybody in here know what, outside of those? Does anybody in here know what Angela's middle name is? It's faith. You know why? Because Angela taught us that faith isn't getting what you want, it's getting what God wants. Faith is trusting God. It's not not asking, but faith is trusting God that he knows better than you do. 
Faith is trusting God that he knows better than you do. I wouldn't trade Angela for any boy in the world. But I didn't know that in that moment. And Angela taught me that. Faith is trusting God because he's more than I am. Even if it takes forever. I think some of the biggest challenges, I've, I've counseled a lot of married couples in my, in my pastoral career and the, the biggest thing that I've found to be consistent amongst most of them is that they've tried it for so long and they're just tired of trying. Faith doesn't try things. Faith does them. Faith flows from the core of who you are. You don't have to try it. It is who you are. You do it because you want to do it because Christ is in you. And if there's never any fruits, you just keep on doing it. That's what faith is, folks. Faith isn't trusting in your mate to change into what you want them to be. Faith is trusting in God to know what's best. Patience. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 13, 14, I believe, David says, I believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. We need to wait on the Lord. We need sometimes to close our eyes and say, Lord, I know it's not my timing, but your timing. When you see fit, I trust that you will do what is right. This is what faith is. Let's go on. The Bible says in verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, notice that Abraham is getting ready to kill Isaac because God told him to. You guys remember the story. God told him to take him on the mount and to kill him as a sacrifice. Isaac was the, was the promised son, right? He's the one that Abraham and Sarah waited for 25 years to have because God said, I'm going to make your seed as the number of the sands of the earth. God says, I want you to take that son that's going to birth all of these seeds. I want you to take him and kill him. Right? Is that a challenge to your faith? Is that a challenge to our faith? How many of you think that would be a challenge to your faith? Maybe you heard the wrong voice. Can you rephrase that, Lord? That's what he says. But here's why, listen to me. Here is why Abraham was willing to do what Abraham was willing to do. He says this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. You see, what Abraham knew is God is never bad. Abraham's faith knew that God never did anything evil. Abraham's faith knew that God never did anything wrong. Abraham's faith knew that God, yes, in that moment, that could have been a look, God, are you serious? What Abraham knew is whatever God did, it was right. Whatever God did, it was right. And Abraham was willing to do whatever God called him to do because he knew that somehow God was going to take lemon and make lemonade out of it. He knew Romans 8, 28, even though it wasn't written yet. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according. He knew that. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. In each one of these cases, what you have, in each one of these illustrations, what you have is you have obedience based upon expectation. You see, in other words, these men believed God was going to do something. They believed God was going to do something. It wasn't, it wasn't this passive like, okay, Lord, I'll do, what you want to, I'll do what you want me to do because you told me to do it, but man, it's going to be a mess. It was literally an expectation of God that he was going to take whatever he commanded and he was going to make a miracle out of it. You see, it's not this fatalistic thing of, yeah, Lord, I'll do what you want, but it's really not a good idea. It's like, Lord, I'll do what you want because I believe it's going to do great things. Or I believe that you're going to do great things. He goes on, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why was he hidden for three months by his parents? Listen to me, folks. Why was he hidden for three months by his parents? Because his parents believed that God was going to use him. This is not fatalistic parenting. This is a parent that wakes up in the morning because they birthed a child and say, this child is the Lord's and I'm going to raise him because I believe God is going to use him. Because he saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why did Moses not give himself over to the pleasures of this world? Why did he not give in to sexual temptation and all the different types of temptations that the Egyptians had, which were innumerable? Why didn't Moses do that? Why? Because he believed that God was going to use him. Listen to me, folks. The problem with many of us today is we have no expectation of God taking a wretch like me and using me in an amazing way to where that we will guard ourselves and protect ourselves from foolishness. Young people are growing up just thinking, I just need to live my life. It really doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter who I marry. It doesn't matter who I date. It doesn't matter who I do this with or who I do that with. Listen, that's foolishness. God has a plan for you. Believe that and live your life in such a way as to protect yourself for that. Give yourself to God. He has amazing things planned for you. He has things planned for your families, husbands and wives. Don't give in to the temptation that says, oh, it's okay to lust or to mess around. That's a lie. God has a plan for your marriage. He has a plan for your family. It's bigger than you. God, help us. God, help us to embrace an expectation of God that is so big that we preserve our lives for him. Verse 26, he considered the reproach. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You notice about Moses and Moses' parents? You notice one thing about them that was consistent? 
neither one of them feared the king because they knew the king. And I mean the real king. And neither one of them gives in to the king's edict. And we aren't where we are today, are we? Why? Why wouldn't they give in to the king's edict? Because they were preserving themselves for God's use. Because, listen to me, because they lived as if they could see the invisible. God help us to see the invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29, we, go, we see the expectation, expecting things. Living by faith is not just living fatalistically. Living by faith is living expectantly. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the, host, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what shall I say, for time would befail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and of the prophets, and through faith conquered, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made out, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Let me say this to you. This is number four, I believe. Faith is action. Faith is full of action. It is acting upon an invisible God. And each one of these was people, listen, first of all, Moses steps out into a Red Sea. And you know what happens when he steps into the Red Sea? Do you know what happens when he steps? He puts his foot in it. You know, right? Like we do in the, in the pool when it's, you know, is it cold or hot? Moses puts his foot into the Red Sea. And you know what happens when he puts his foot into the Red Sea? It splits. Wow. Moses' faith. He acted upon it, didn't he? The children of Israel marched seven times around, or six times, six, first six days in Jericho, they marched around the walls. The seventh day, they marched around seven times, right? Something pretty crazy, right? You know what they believed in their heart? They believed that God told them, if you do this, those walls will fall down, and they put their faith into action. In every one of these cases, Gideon goes out. First of all, he has, he has a number of men, but not enough to go out against 135,000, then God tells them, hey, you need to dwindle them down a little bit, right? Gideon's like, that doesn't sound very fair. He's like, God says, hey, Gideon, tell all the ones that don't want to stay to go home, right? Would you want to do that? Gideon's like, okay. He tells them all to go home that don't want to stay. Then the Lord says, hey, you still got too many. There's still too many there. You're going to trust in your own strength and your own abilities. I'm not going to let you do that. Let's go down to the water and let's see who drinks with their hand cupped so that they can be looking around when they're drinking and those who get down and they, and they just drink from the water. All of those that get down and drink like a dog, he said, send them home. But the ones who, who lap it up with their hand like, a, like uh, they ought to, they can keep their eyes on, he said, those are the ones you want. 
Gideon gets down to 300 men versus 135,000. Listen to me, there was no chance that Gideon was going to trust in his numbers, was there? You know who won that battle? God. That's the way it works. Faith is put into action. We believe something. We trust the invisible God. We trust in him at all levels, in all ways, for all things. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to prove that. Daniel prayed knowing that he would be cast into the lion's den. The three Hebrew children did not bow down knowing that they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel ran out against one of the greatest enemies ever written in scripture named Goliath because he would not allow his God to be mocked. Why? How? Because there was something burning inside of them that we don't understand today. There was a faith inside of them. There was an expectation. There was a God that was worthy. And there was nothing that was going to stand between them and that God. That's what faith is. Faith is acting on the invisible God. And then lastly, faith is suffering for the invisible God. We see this at the end of the text. The Bible says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. That means heaven. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Might I submit to you that if they would have simply denied Christ, none of these things would have happened. Faith is going to be painful. He says, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive that was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In the end, faith is worth it. Suffering is worth it. The pain is worth it. Because the eternal rewards are worth it. Because a walk with Christ is worth it. Because a relationship with Christ is worship. If we build simply on what we can see, feel, touch, and control, we will ultimately lose everything. But if we walk by faith, we will ultimately gain everything. Let me recap for you. Keeping your eyes open only leads to seeing what the world sees and acting as the world acts. Depending on the solutions the world offers, leaning on the, on the wisdom that the world provides, which the Lord calls it foolishness. Close your eyes for a moment. Let's just do it. Close your eyes for a moment. Just meditate on the Lord. Think about who he is. Think about what he's revealed to us about himself in his word. Think about his strength. Think about his care and his comfort. Think about his compassion.
Think of all of the things that God has done for us already and promises to do through us and the promises that he gives us for eternity. Be patient. Know that God's promises may not find their fulfillment in this life. Never doubt them, though, because his timing is often different than yours. Be expecting of God based upon his character and his word. When you close your eyes to meditate on him, you must know something about him. There must be something that you've read in his word that penetrates your thinking in that moment when you are most desperate. You must see God for who he is and expect that he is capable of of bringing deliverance. And if he chooses not to, he has a purpose for not delivering. Living life blindly is one thing, but living life expecting based upon your knowledge of the invisible God is totally different. Act based upon what you expect from God. March around the walls. Pray out loud when you know that you're not supposed to. Go out against the Goliath with your sling in your hand and know that God can give you the victory. Be strong when the odds are against you. Stand up for what is right and do it all based upon the character of your God. You see, by closing our eyes, we can see God and other things become small. Lastly, be willing to suffer. The wrong expectations in life often lead to discouragement, bewilderment, and quitting. But if you know what to expect, which the Bible says that we should expect suffering in this life and glory in the next, if you know what to expect, you will neither be surprised nor doubting when it comes to pass. 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 says it this way, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange has happened to you. Let's pray together. Father, just pray as we look at this next year, 21-22, Lord, help us to look at it with our eyes closed. Help us to look at it with the knowledge from your word of who you are, what you're capable of doing, what you, that you can create life out of dust. And therefore, there's nothing impossible for you. Help us to look at next year with a, a level of, of hope and expectation and excitement and um, joy and looking at it through, Lord God, your eyes. Help us to be patient, to know that if these things don't come to pass, it doesn't mean that you are not on your throne, nor does it mean that you're not uh, caring about us. It simply means that you have a purpose and we're simply supposed to submit to it. Help us in that, Lord God. Help us to be willing to suffer. Help us to be willing to face whatever comes our way if it is meant to bring glory to you and to live through it in such a way that does bring glory to you. Please bless the remainder of our morning together. May you be glorified in it all in Jesus Christ's name.